1: From the fish-filled Midwest lakes to the deep woods of the north, upland prairies filled with pheasants to the whistling wings of duck ponds, this is Saturday Morning Fan Outdoors, your show for hunting and fishing tips, topics, and conversations. You can also send us a question or opinion by emailing us, booth at kfan.com. Here's your host, the fan's Captain Billy Hildebrand.
2: 48 seconds after the hour of 6 o'clock. Good morning, everybody. Fan Outdoors coming your way, whether you're struggling with uh, getting your eyes open, whether you've worked the entire evening, looking forward to yet another day off, maybe you're just getting into work, we would like to thank you for joining us on this day Albeit in abbreviated show, yet again, due to the Gophers' 11 o'clock start today. But that's okay. We've got lots of stuff to do in the outdoors, and uh, yeah, it's all, all cool. On this, the 8th day of October, cool the operative word. Frost warnings out in the Twin Cities and North. So... If you haven't taken things in, you still got some some tomato plants out there. It might be too late soon, if not already. And this, uh, here in the Twin Cities right now, it's 36 degrees, aiming for a high of 54 clear skies. Southwest wind for those guys heading to Lake Minnetonka, of which I saw a couple boats heading that way. Southwest wind seven miles an hour. Now, if you're a waterfowler, a duck and goose hunter in the central zone of Minnesota, well, at about, uh, gosh almighty, about 7.20, the sun comes up. So 10 minutes to 7, you're legal again today. Uh huh. And the difference today is you can hunt until sundown. And if you were anything like uh, my oldest son, he is in the swamp setting up decoys as we speak, I am sure. He headed out yesterday at noon. He is a diehard waterfowler. And they have been shooting some birds out in western Minnesota and having a great time. So it's it's all good. Riding solo today, Bob Saint Pierre is somewhere stuck in the North Woods. I think he called yesterday, and I wondered if he needed GPS signal sent his way so he could find his way out. But no, he did not. He is at what he calls Grouse Camp, someplace. Gosh, I don't know if he's in Wisconsin or. Minnesota or Michigan, I'm not really sure, but having a good time his, his job may be with pheasants forever. His passion is definitely in the woods chasing roughst. And that's that's all good. We've got uh, we've got new puppies in our household as you heard all about throughout the summer. Actually, I got to the cabin last week. It's one of the first times I spent a couple days there all summer long, and it's uh, been kind of a whirlwind summer with puppies 24-7. And I've kept uh, one little female, and my youngest son, Chad, has Chevy, who is uh, a male that he has fallen in love with, and a nice, nice little dog. All of them are, too, I think. All of them nice dogs, and soon they will be, Early in November, Chevy and Bell, mine and Chad's puppy, will be heading to Tom Dawkins for gun and bird introduction, and then that'll be a two-week session. And after that, they will be coming home, and we will be able to get them out in the field. Excited about that. But uh, this little one I've got is just a... Uh, she is a headstrong little thing. Lots and lots of go, and a spitting image personality wise of her mother and it's all uh, it's all pretty cool I'm excited about it um, frustrated at times but excited nonetheless and I think that she probably gets kind of frustrated with me too because she can she turns it on and turns it off she can be absolutely out of control some moments especially in the morning when she wakes up she has got more fire and vinegar than I can leash and uh, it's it's kind of cool because then she can just as quickly become a real lover little buddy and step right in there and be so excited about it too so that's all that's all okay turkey season goes on as we speak turkey license in my pocket was out last week for a little bit with no success but uh, that's okay that's all right and uh, like I said, the some uh, central zone in Minnesota, the duck season opens again this morning and one week from today at nine o'clock, the Minnesota pheasant season will begin. Still some fishing to do, uh, obviously, it's but you know, if you're like me, I say I'm going to fall fish and I never really have time. The boat kind of sits in the garage or it gets put away and and I, I trade fishing rods in for shotguns and shells. And it's, uh, it seems the, the fall goes by too soon, and all of a sudden we're, we are thinking about ice and hard water and clam shacks and the whole deal. So it's, it's, uh, it, the seasons pass way too soon, but maybe that's all for the better also. Maybe that's all for good because we don't have time to get tired of anything and look forward to the next And that's pretty much what the Midwest is all about. This morning, just to give you a a bit of a a heads up on what's going on here for the brief time we'll be with you today, Chris Peterson, who has been in studio with me a number of times, and he's been on the air with us. He is out uh, west chasing elk, and I believe he will call in before his day starts and we'll see how he, is, uh, how he is faring. He and his wife are out there, and she, uh, both of them, I think, two years ago shot big animals, really big animals, especially uh, hers. She had a, a really, really dandy. And then following that up, and it's appropriate, very appropriate, Hank Shaw we will talk to. Hank has a new book out called Buck, Buck Moose, and he has an event coming up here in the Twin Cities next week. And it's, uh, well, we'll let him tell you about it. But Buck, Buck Moose is probably one of the most comprehensive big game books as, as it goes down to cooking that I have seen because he really digs into everything from field, from the time you down the animal, with some suggestions about different preparations of uh, hooved big game. So it's uh, looking forward to talking with Hank also. He is a friend of ours, and when Pheasant Fest comes to the Twin Cities, he'll be there as one of the visiting chefs, too. Pheasant Fest will be in the Twin Cities, I believe it's this February, because it rotates and it goes around to a multi-state area, and I think it's on a five-year basis that it comes back, but this is Minnesota's turn. Pheasants, and we'll, uh, pheasants just, you know, I was pretty down in the mouth about it a couple weeks ago, and I have, uh, I've changed my thought just a little bit, because I think that once the crops begin to come out we'll see a few more birds and i'm talking to my son my youngest son chad who works down in southwestern minnesota i was talking to him as early as uh, yesterday late afternoon he was in the field and he put up some birds down there so he's seeing he works for the county down there and he's seeing a number of birds as his uh, his job takes him into the fields into the farms and and that so he uh, he is pleasantly surprised and pleasantly excited although next week one week from today we will be at uh, our family pheasant opener and i really look forward to that there was a day when i had all kinds of guys coming out to the cabin and we'd have people sleeping on the floor and everything else and it has changed i changed it last year to include family because I wanted the boys and and their significant others to be able to come and and enjoy that time together and get out in the field together and come back and share some meals so one of the things on the uh, on the meal list for next weekend will be duck and dumplings because it's uh, they are duck that we shot opening weekend and they are cleaned and ready to roll and we'll cook those throughout the day, come back and and have a meal together and and talk about the day and share some stories and all the things that go hand-in-hand with going into the field and having a good time. So whether you're just getting up and enjoying a cup of coffee as...
0: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?
2: to the studio. He uh, he looked a little bit tired, as I felt, exactly the same way. But if you are still on the job, especially if you're a police officer or such, uh, I'd like to thank you for what you do. You guys and gals do an awesome job, and it is a very thankless job, as is uh, public education. Teachers in the classroom get... Uh, don't get the recognition that they deserve, especially in this day and age, because it is a difficult job. And without those two sets of professions, uh, we would uh, be in difficult straits, more difficult than we are right now. So we will take our first pause, and on our return, we'll see if we can scramble the mice. Feed them just enough that we can turn the wheels and get going and make it all the way out to one of the western, western United States where Chris Peterson is in pursuit of elk. We'll see if he had success or not. Perhaps his wife has shined him, outshined out, shined him yet again, which was kind of Chris's plan. He enjoys that. So uh, that's kind of what that's all about, also. So we've got quite a bit yet to come. Abbreviated as it is, Billy Hildebrand here sitting in studio. Zach Halverson taking care of us. So we will be right back with more Fan Outdoors after this. And cool mountain mornings, honest work out in the field. In my mama's kitchen, daddy's saying grace before the meal. 18 minutes after the hour of 6 o'clock on a Fan Outdoors Saturday morning. Got the bat signal out for Chris. See if we can catch up with him. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe he has no, no signal wherever he is. But uh, I don't think they're going up into the mountains on, on uh, horses. I think that they take some weeders up and go high. And it's in a a big ranch, and big as a relative out in the uh, Big Sky country, too, because they they go thousands and thousands of acres in size. Uh, I've never hunted elk. I've always kind of wanted to, and I know that we uh, spoke, I think it was last week, to Lou Cornicelli from the DNR, who is heading out west also. And he is uh, he's worked out there for a number of years, so he has a number of friends and experience when it gets out that far. And my past friends that have gone out there, I know that Chris's brother, John, and uh, my friend, uh, Dennis Gallenberg of Barrington Oaks Veterinary Clinic, or hospital has, uh, they've gone basically into training before they've gone. And they have tried to get themselves in shape for the uh, higher altitudes and the amount of walking and climbing that they'll do and it uh it was never quite enough because it's a huff and a puff kind of a thing and i think as uh as people get older, it gets more and more difficult when you're really going to go after it unless you're sitting down and and uh you're in a blind and and waiting for them and having been dropped off by guiding by your guide or whoever it is which makes a difference. We're right around the corner to Minnesota's whitetail season, and in some cases, if you're a bow hunter, you have been out there and you have been in stand. I know a friend of mine has passed on a number of deer, and he uh, he actually waylaid a doe, and the, the bucks that he has seen and had shots at were not large enough for him to use his tag, and I think that's kind of the M.O., with a number of archers they get out there and and they just enjoy being in the in the field and they enjoy being in the in the woods and and they're really in tune with what's going on and they really do their homework but they're they're dedicated to their sport and they uh, they love it and live it and they're they're passionate about it also i I for one, I I used to hunt some archery, but my uh, my love is to hunt behind dogs, and it always has been. And there's it's really hard to do both, especially when you're still working too. It's hard to do both and do either one very well. And I think that most archers, if they are in the uh, in the archery mode, they would tend to agree. And then when the gun season comes around, a lot of archers pretty much hang it up for a while and let the uh let the gun people take off. There's so many, many more of firearm people that hunt deer than there are archers. And a lot of deer are are killed with firearms. And I think there'll probably be a larger population hit the ground this year as the numbers are growing. I know last week Eric, my son, who works for the DNR, and he's part of the Moose Project, you've heard also about that a number of times here on this show um, because uh, those guys do a heck of a job. He got a, a signal on a bull moose that was down and and had sent them a text with the death message on it. So he bundled things up day before yesterday, and the whole team took off and went north of Duluth, quite a ways back into the brush, and it was a 13-, 14-year-old bull moose that had uh, given the indication that it was down. Well, on the way up there, they had another one that was a roadkill animal over by Thief River, so they had to send a technician over to that one to gather that carcass up and get it down to the university for testing. And by the time they all got in, because they used triangular methods to find the GPS collar because it talks back and forth to satellites, by the time they got close to it, all of a sudden the moose got up and took off. So it was a lot of effort for not, but it was a positive result which is kind of an interesting concept if you really think about it because those guys have they put a whole bunch of effort into it to go in and get the carcass out within 24 hours to get it down to the pathologist at the university of minnesota to do a necropsy to find out what's killing these moose that's the ultimate goal but for it to get up after you've expended all the energy and effort to get out to do it have it get up and go away and walk away or run away or bound away, whichever the case may be. It's uh, it's a positive thing also because it's not dead, obviously. But then as we get into uh, the big game whitetail hunting in the state of Minnesota, there's a lot of other things. One of the things that I've learned, in fact, I got a question from a listener, a, K- a fan outdoors listener last week, and he asked, he was going to go out and hang his stands and it's in good grouse country, the place that he hunts deer, and wondering if he could take his dog. If I thought he should take his dog or it would hurt taking his dog along to hang his stance. And, and I, uh, my reply, and it was just my opinion because I am by no, by no stretch an expert, but my reply indicated that if he's going to archery hunt, it'll probably make a difference to bring the dog along. And if you're going to archery hunt, you probably should have had this done a long time ago. Uh, and have multiple stands so you can use the wind to your advantage because they uh, they can scent a human uh, with very very little human effort. The uh, and if you just think about it, white tails that's where they, that you're in their house and that's how they survive is by their senses. But if they're gun hunting. And that doesn't open for a while yet. I would definitely take the dog. If you like to grouse hunt and you're in grouse country and there are grouse around, uh, I would definitely take him, was my reply. Because anything that you're going to upset in the woods, whitetails are used to being upset. And I don't believe that it's going to totally change anything. And once opening day comes around, uh, all bets are off. Because the whitetail is uh, there's a, a lot of movement and a lot of scared going on as the shots begin to ring out. So I'd, I really didn't think that it would make any difference. And if you have an opportunity to get some grouse and have some shots at grouse, I would definitely do it. But in the same breath, I'm talking about uh, shotgun deer hunting, which is what I've done the last couple of years and put the, rough, the rifle in the uh, in the gun cabinet shotgun hunting and we hunted last year on public land with great success the same areas that we hunted pheasants on and the same areas that i have hunted ducks on and that we had good success well the party did the boys did i was as i told uh, the listener i was the assistant dragger to get out of the field but that's that's okay Uh, I'm of the the opinion now that I I love to see the boys and Danielle, too, who is Eric's girlfriend, uh, have success, and she did. She shot a nice buck, and Eric uh, and Chad also, so we had success. But what I would suggest to you, if you are going to hunt public ground, definitely go opening weekend, but don't be disappointed if there's lots of people around and the deer... uh, do an exit stage left into corn, don't come out. Because if you let them settle down, you'd be surprised if you can hunt during the week. A lot of the, lot of the pressure, a lot of the people that hunt public grounds leave on Sunday evening, Sunday afternoon, and they come back the following weekend.
0: And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What if you could have a career
2: where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to
1: protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground. Cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S.
2: Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Let things settle down on Monday and then come out and hunt Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It'll be like you're going to a brand new place. Guaranteed. I was amazed at it because the animals begin to move again. They're on trails. At least at where I was the last two years, they're back on trails. They're doing the things that they normally do. They might move early, but they always move early. They don't. They seldom move daytime unless they're pushed or unless they're in rut. If they're into the breeding season, again, bets are off. So I I would definitely go. I definitely not avoid that. I know it's not big woods, and it's different, but there are lots of deer out in farm country too. And if you think about it, the things that those white tails have been eating resemble more of the cattle types of food. They'll browse, but they'll also eat corn, and they eat eat soybeans, and they eat some other stuff that are out in farm country. And now as the crops begin to come out, Well, not only will we see more pheasants, I believe, we'll have some waterfowl that are beginning to use crop fields, corn fields, especially the flooded ones that uh, still have standing crops in them. You can get permission to go into them, uh, and you can do the scouting, which is why Eric went out western Minnesota yesterday was to scout. He taught me a few years ago the value and importance of scouting. We drove hundreds and hundreds of miles. Uh, until we settled on a place uh, before we actually ever took the guns from the case, and it was a phenomenal, phenomenal shoot. So there there are lots of things that people can learn, yet even on public ground. And I may, I'll let you know after the opening weekend, I think I might have something in the bag as far as patterning, and people kind of scoff and laugh at this, but I've done it before, to other openings. I, I think I might have something figured out on what's holding these pheasants and what some of the things are that they are doing. But I'll, I'll kind of keep it back and I will definitely share it with you as it comes to fruition. And if it doesn't, I'll let you know that too because uh, that's kind of the way I roll. And just to uh, kind of give you a little bit of a heads up, I mentioned earlier in the program we first came on the air that we were going to be joined by Hank Shaw. Hank, is a, Hank actually covered for the Pioneer Press a number of years ago, Jesse Ventura, when he was governor in the state of Minnesota. And Hank decided that that wasn't really for him. His passion was more into the outdoors and cooking. And he is, I believe, more of a self-trained chef. But he has uh, a few books out. I've talked with Hank at length. And he's been at most of the Pheasant Fests where they host some cooking, cooking seminars and demonstrations for people. But Hank has one book called Duck, Duck, Goose. I have that. And I've used some of his recipes from that. Now, his latest publication is on the same vein. It is called Buck, Buck, Moose. And the unique thing about this book is that Hank takes you right from the time that you drop an animal in the field. And some people tend to say that you harvest it. Well, I think you harvest corn. I think you harvest some of the other things, beans. I don't harvest game. I uh, I shoot it, and, and it dies, and I keep it, prepare it, eat it. And so does my family, and hopefully you do too. But buck buck moose takes you right from the time that animal hits the ground, and you have to field dress it until you begin thoughts about preparation, the different cuts, talks about skinning it with great photographs, um, and diagrams about how to do it when you're in the field and how to cut it apart so you can do it yourself. I know Mike Curry, I give him grief all the time because when he shoots a deer, he always drops the whole thing off and washes his hands of it and pays somebody else to do it. And I don't think I've ever done that. I've I've uh, cleaned dozens and dozens of deer, And there's a year between the time you do it, so each time you start in the fall, it's like a learning curve all over again. But this particular book, Buck, Buck, Moose, is definitely, definitely worth the price that it costs because you will enjoy it, I know. And I know that I have done that too. I watched Eric. And he was part of the DNR's CWD zone when they did sharpshooting down in northeast, southeast Minnesota. He has field-dressed, gut, basically, hundreds of deer as they were checking for CWD down there when they had federal sharpshooters come in and take these animals, checking for CWD. And he could literally field-dress an animal, he can, in about a minute. And I've watched him do it. I watched him do it again last year, last fall. It's absolutely incredible, and he makes it look so easy. And if, uh, if I get a chance, I'll take some pictures, and we can record it and share it with you, too, because it's definitely worth knowing how to do that. When I finish field dressing an animal, I look like a self-sacrifice, uh, and I always I always wrestle with it and i'm never really sure about exactly how to do it and uh rather than just taking a knife and beginning the process but there is definitely a method to the madness and it's not madness uh but it, it doing it well there's very little very little mess that can be had with it so the book buck buck moose really takes you beginning to end this way so we will pause And we'll see if we can catch up with Mr. Hank Shaw and we'll find out about his event coming up and if there's still space and when and where and also talk to him about some of the things that went into preparation of the book, publication of the book, and also some recipes. I wonder what Hank's favorite recipe is. I wonder what his favorite one is. You know, I'm the guy that was... I find aromatics. I think chef, uh, oh, one of the chefs we had on, I was trying to find out what an aromatic was, and he says, Billy, you better stick to salt and pepper first and get that mastered before you worry about any of the rest of it. So that's where I'm at. I'm still into salt and pepper, and I'm old school, but uh, Hank Shaw is not. He is an excellent, excellent chef. Buck Buck Moose, All about it and much more next on Fan Outdoors. Hey, you can give us a call, 651 989 5326, 800 320 5326, or the Dunwoody inbox booth at kfan.com brings you front and center right to me on Fan Outdoors. We'll be right back.
1: This is Fan Outdoors. sitting pretty good high on a hill looking at a field downwind if i can make a nickel off a of turning in bass never worry about the price of gas i'd be wheeling and dealing and sitting there reeling them in hunting fishing loving every day that's the prank day, early in the morning, From late in the evening, I'm getting red dirt rich in flitter river the paint, Hunt, fishing, and loving every day.
2: Zach knows that this pretty much makes my day. He smiles when he plays it on the bumper because, I don't know, I've been through a lot of stuff in a lot of years and gone through 35 years of uh, teaching and been able to hunt on weekends and fished my life. Had a blast, but if I didn't have the hunting and fishing, I don't know if I could survive. Family is important. Hunting and fishing gives meaning to me anyway, and it's not to all people. And uh, I just, I really, really enjoy it even as as the older I get. I probably enjoy it more, not so much the getting, but I do enjoy uh, learning some different things about it and learning there's a lot of things to learn. There's so much to learn, especially when it comes to big game hunting. When you get an animal down in the field and then look at it and you're excited and everything is... Come together and you've had success and you appreciate the animal, and there's a certain pain that comes, but then you think, okay, now what am I going to do? And as Bob St. Pierre always looks and says, how am I going to prepare it? How am I going to fix some of this? Well, our next guest can help us with both of those. What am I going to do with it? And how can I prepare it? And what are some of the options? Because we are joined by the Mr. Hank Shaw. He has a new book. On the market right now, and it is called Buck Buck Moose. Hank joins us right now. Hank, good morning, my friend. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm just barely waking up. I'll we had bet a late you night are in, uh, in Madison
1: yesterday or in Milwaukee yesterday.
2: You did. Do you sometimes <laughs> lose track of where you are? Um, it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> <laughs> but there's still an opportunity, Hank. I'll bet. It's
1: going
2: to happen one of these days. I'm going to be mortified. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's okay. Hey, I'm I, I'm looking at your uh, your latest creation, and Hank, I I've got a personally kudos to you. You have put uh, you've put together an exquisite work, and it's almost a work of art, my friend. It's uh, jam packed with information, and I can't tell you how impressed I am when when you begin right from the uh, the time you're going to hang this animal and you're going to skin it, um, was that your intent all along or did it just kind of happen this way?
1: Uh, I think my original intent was just to, to be a cookbook. But then I get so many questions um, I'm re- almost on a daily basis in deer season. Well, how do you hang it? How do you skin it? You know? What can you do with uh, the, you know, the wobbly bits? What's, you know, can I use this part? Can I do that part? And I finally just decided that, no, this book needs to be a little bit bigger than I had originally intended.
2: Well, and the the parts that you describe in the book itself, I mean, I, there isn't much of anything that's not being used.
1: I mean, it's not like okay I necessarily. Like, if I'm five miles from the backcountry, you know, and it's a giant elk, I may not keep all of that stuff. but. Uh-huh. It's, well so I wanted to show what was possible.
2: Okay. All right. Now, when, when we're looking at it, and I, I just, uh, there are some things that really catch my eye, too. And one of the things that I've never been very good at when you come to venison, because elk is not something I can appreciate because I just haven't killed anything like that. Uh, but I'd love to. But when you're talking roasts, roasts are kind of... Uh, uh, venison roasts are things that I don't hear a lot about. Most people that I know just cut them into steaks and take the chops out of it, but you've got a whole chapter on preparation of roasts and what they are and how to tie them in that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just for me, um, this individual muscles of the hind leg, they're the second luxury cut. You know, the first, is, of course, it's the backstrap and tenderloin. But the whole hind leg, with the exception of the shank, can be you know you can dry age it you can you know you can you can cook it perfectly to a medium rare or a medium if that's what you're looking for and because it's the way I butcher there's no sinew and there's no silver skin in between so you can just slice it just like a roast beef and if you can do that well why wouldn't you you know
2: well you, you, when you say there's no silver skin or, or sinew and and that how do you how do you avoid that because Oftentimes, when I'm skinning an animal, that uh, that silver skin stays right on it, and it's a bear to get off.
1: Ah, Well, I mean, so the way, I mean, you, you actually do keep it on the, some parts of the, of the muscle groups, but the way I butcher and the way I go through it in the book, um, I take away each muscle off the hind leg by itself. So you essentially are taking apart the hind leg by individual muscle, muscle groups. And what's really good with that is you can do it with effectively – I mean, I've done it with a pen knife. You I mean, you don't even need anything fancy or anything like that. You certainly don't need a saw. And then you are left with individual roasts that are one muscle, one muscle, one muscle. And then when you come to, to cook it, that's when you take the silver skin off.
2: Oh, okay. All right. Now, when I go to separate the hind leg from the – just the, the entire hind leg from the back – Piece of the animal, that's always kind of a mystery to me. I've got to feel my way through that with a knife to get it to to break loose out of the socket. Is there a better way to do that? Now you
1: have a book to to tell you how to do it. There you go. Does it talk (laughs) about that? Oh yeah, with with lots and lots of pictures too.
2: Okay, (laughs) well the the photographs in the in the book are incredibly detailed and and aesthetically pleasing. Hank, too. Did you do the photographing also?
1: Actually, my girlfriend Holly Heiser did the to the photographing, and uh, and it's um, it was been, let's just say it's a labor of love. I mean, we're 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 our best friends, and um, every now and again there'll be a photo like, hey, it's great. It's like, oh, I don't think it looks really good at all. We need to reshoot it. And um, let's just say we we're, we're both very type A, control freak perfectionists when it comes to things like photographs. And this is the result of that. I mean, we, there was a lot of hammering through. Um, now, put it on, move the plate to the left, move it to the right. No, no, this is, there's got to be something else there. And so um, <laughs> it was kind of a fun experience of um, two people who are, know exactly what should be, and it wasn't always on the same page. But, you know, mostly, mostly it was.
2: Okay. Um, <laughs> the. <laughs> I, I like that because well, it really comes out. I'm looking at one of the pages of the, of the burgers, venison burgers. In fact, in this case, it's a mushroom burger, and it mm-hmm. and I'm hungry anyway right now, which doesn't help. But it it it's almost good enough to bite into, Hank. And burgers are are one of those things when when you're talking about processing venison into uh, sausage and things like that. If you take it into somebody. It's not cheap to have this done. So a lot of people, I think, just have it ground into ground venison. The burgers chapter is incredible. I had a great time with that.
1: You know, it's, I, it's, it's just i I'm kind of strange in that burger is one of the things that I eat first off my beer. Oh, really? Um, I just, you know, I love meatballs. I love meatballs. Um, I'm kind of a uh, burger snob. So that whole thing on burgers in that chapter is... I, mean, I used to work at a place that really, really featured burgers. So I mean, there's my boss was a guy who's like knew everything there was about making a burger, and he passed that on to us. And I'm passing it on in the book in the sense of what makes that burger that you had that was so amazing. Um, I know how it t- I know how it's done, and I'm passing that information on with with Edison. And you know, one of those is fat. Huh. You know, a lot of people don't get their venison ground with any fat, and that makes it a much more limited product. You know, you can't really make a good burger with that fat. I mean, sure, you can make one you'll eat, but it won't be one you'll remember.
2: Well, Hank, I know that you have you're going around the country, and you have different events that you're you're hosting. Uh, you have one coming up in the Twin Cities next week, don't you? I have two in the Twin Cities. You do? Okay. Tell us a little bit about it because we've got about two minutes left. Sure.
1: Um, On Tuesday, I'm going to be uh, at Heartland in St. Paul, and we're doing a a big celebratory um, wild foods dinner. So uh, Chef Lenny Russo, um, who is an award-winning chef, and uh, we've come up with a, a kind of a collaboration menu because he's got a new book out too. And it's kind of a a double celebration of the fall and of deer season and of all the wild foods that are around in, in uh, Minnesota in the region right now. And that's almost sold out, but I believe it still has ten seats left.
2: How do people um, find get, out? Uh, how do they get tickets? Hank?
1: You go. Uh, you can either go to my website, which is Hunter Angler Gardener Cook, or you can just call Heartland. You, know, you can call Heartland Restaurant in St. Paul and then and then make a reservation.
2: And uh, you have you said you had two events here. Is another one, when, when is the other one, or is that one sold out?
1: No. The, the reason we did the second one is because we we're pretty sure that Heartland might sell out. So the second day, which would be Wednesday, I'm just going to be at Fulton Brewing in Minneapolis. Oh. And, yep, that's super low-key, super casual. Um, just show up and... I'll, be, I'll have books for sale. I'll be signing books. I'll be drinking beer. Um, and then the coolest thing about that event on Wednesday is that my friend Sean Sherman, who runs a food truck called the Tatanka Truck, uh, he is a Sioux Indian. And he focuses on foods that were here before Europeans showed up in the continent. Huh. so his food, like there's bison burgers. There's all kinds of crazy, cool, wild foods, and the the food there is just going to be amazing. And um, and it's you know, and there's beer and there's books. So I mean, what's not to lot, right?
2: <laughs> ah, very cool. So that one, people don't have to get reservations for Hank.
1: That's correct. You oh. can just show up to Fulton Brewing on Wednesday.
2: Okay. Now, if they want to just purchase a book, and they have they haven't time to come, is there a place they can do that also?
1: Right now, Amazon.com is your best bet.
2: Excellent. Hank, I thank you, sir. We're on an abbreviated show this morning, but thanks for waking up and sharing with us. I appreciate it, buddy.
1: I really appreciate you having me on. Thanks a
2: lot. You bet. Hank Shaw. We'll see you later, Hank. Take care, buddy. You too. That's Hank Shaw, and he is, uh, it's called Buck Buck Moose. So we got to duck out of here and give the show to give the studio to the in uh, the fantasy football guys. So I want to say thank you for allowing me to travel with you. Um, Be back next week. It's the pheasant opener. So until that time, happy hunting, everybody. Take care. See ya. This is Fan Outdoors.